along with being a tech enthusiast, I'm also a Star Trek fan. And so much of the technology you've seen on many of the Star Trek TV shows and movies already exist. In this episode, I'll discuss the tech of Trek, some of what we have today, as well as what we may have in the near future that you've seen on Star Trek, despite not even having warp capabilities yet, here on Joey's Totally Tech. a bit about Star Trek. Created by Gene Roddenberry and produced by Norway Productions and Desilu Productions initially, and later by Paramount Productions, Star Trek first aired on September 8th, 1966 here in the USA, and September 6th in Canada. The original Star Trek series was considered a failure and cancelled after three seasons. Yet the show had a cult following and spun off a number of movies and other television series. It essentially was, and still is, the shared universe idea well before the Marvel Studios ever did the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they've made it work well between TV and film. And we often consider the tech they have on Star Trek. We think of the transporters, communicators, the warp drive engine itself, and much more. Some of the tech today that came right out of Star Trek may surprise you, as we actually have a number of those technologies already. Okay, we don't have warp drive, nor do we have teleportation, unless you believe some of the conspiracy theories out there about our government having that ability, though I know that teleportation is being worked on. So let's actually get into what we have in today's world that would be considered the Tech of Trek. What would you think if I told you food replicators exist? Okay, they don't exactly work how they do in Star Trek, but many of you are familiar with 3D printing. Well, there are actually 3D food printers too. Instead of using plastic material, 3D food printers use paste-type ingredients. You're probably not going to get a rotisserie chicken created, but Anawa, a company that helps simplify the research and purchase of manufacturing equipment for businesses and professionals, mentions its most commonly used ingredients for food printers are chocolate, pancake batter, and cream, and there are other possibilities such as pizza. They even have a list of food printers, the cheapest one being the PancakeBot 2.0 in Norway, for $300. 
And after that, I'm hungry because I'm just talking about food now. Let me grab some food and I'll be right back. Computer, orange chicken, rice, and broccoli. Universal translators, communicators, and tablet computers. It wasn't initially explained how humans and aliens could communicate so easily on Star Trek, but they eventually explained that universal translators were used. These were integrated into the communications devices and later the badges, though I think there are instances that kind of contradict it being in the communication devices, as I feel like I've seen a couple of episodes where the crew members lost their communicators, yet were still able to talk to aliens on the planet they were visiting. Well, you know what? We have both, sort of. Your mobile phone is, essentially, a handheld communicator, just like in Star Trek. And assuming that's a smartphone, which most of us have these days, you can download a voice translator app by Tower Apps, which understands 71 languages. And then starting with the next generation, you had crew personnel using what they referred to as pads or personal access data devices. You can punch in coordinates to a star system, watch video, or listen to music on these devices. And, well, we could do that with our tablets or phones, too. We can't put in coordinates to the next star system other than in Star Trek games and other similar types of games, I suppose. But both our smartphones and tablets allow us to consume media. And smartphones and many tablets have a built-in GPS. Using a map app like Google Maps, you can punch in the coordinates to the next destination and get there. How cool is that? When I was a kid, you had to use a map, a paper map, and you knew someone was lost if they were on the side of the road or in a parking lot looking at the map. And if you were searching for a person's house, you had to really keep an eye out for their address, where most of the times a GPS today is pretty darn accurate at letting you know when you're at the destination. Okay, let's talk about tricorders. Tricorders would scan for geological, biological, and meteorological anomalies. And you may not have this device right now, but cognitive science researcher Dr. Peter Jansen from McMaster University in Ontario actually built a working prototype in 2012. It's able to scan for magnetic fields and other interference. Jeff Jetson has a tricorder app available for Palm Pilot, if you still have one of those devices, iPod Touch, and Android. There's also a web application version too. In 2007, researchers at Purdue University had a briefcase-sized DESI-based mass spectrometer known as the Mini-10. 
it can be used to analyze compounds in ambient conditions without prior sample preparation. And there have been a few other examples too, so in a sense, they exist already. In fact, you may have seen those handheld thermometers that they point at you when you enter a government building. Well, that in a sense is kind of a tricorder. It's seen if you have a fever, which indicates either the flu, COVID-19, or any other sickness that would cause that. These two, in a sense, are medical tricorders, though likely very primitive compared to what you see on Star Trek. On to holodecks and other holographic projection technologies. Holodecks were really first seen on Star Trek the Animated Series, but most of us probably remember first seeing them on The Next Generation instead. Well, we're not quite there with that yet, but Project Holodeck at the University of Southern California used virtual reality goggles to create a fictional world, and virtual reality has been around for some time now and then going to Star Trek Discovery, which takes place 10 years before the original series, we find that they actually had holographic projections for communications. They explained in season two that the system interfered with other systems on the USS Enterprise, so they had to use view screen only, and that's why you never saw it on the original series. But that's not too important here. To be fair though, I might have to give Star Wars the credit for being there first, as they were the first ones I saw use this. I'm not sure why it wasn't even used on the Next Generation or other Star Trek series that take place later, and that were even produced well after Star Wars. But moving on to our timeline, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang actually planned on using a 3D hologram to campaign in multiple places at once. He even tested this technology with a hologram of himself along with another hologram of Tupac Shakur. And then we get into computer screens that are holographic projections, also on Discovery. But this was probably popularized first by Tony Stark, Iron Man, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, of course, Microsoft has had its Microsoft HoloLens since 2015, and augmented reality is likely to become more of a thing, though it will require you to wear some sort of headset. And then Looking Glass Factory has monitors that can display holographic images, not quite in the way it would be on Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, or any Marvel movies, as it's on an otherwise normal-looking computer monitor panel, but displays 3D holograms without the need of a headset. On to natural language queries. In Star Trek, crew members could just talk to the computer. There was no keyboard really needed to ask a question. Hey Siri, who played Catherine Janeway on Star Trek Voyager? Star Trek Voyager features Kate Mulgrew, Robert Beltran, Roxanne Dawson, and others. Okay, so that didn't give me the exact answer I was looking for. 
It's Kate Mulgrew, though it did list her name. But as you can see, I could easily do this natural language query with my phone today. And we have voice command software for PCs and phones as well to perform any actions, though I know many people still don't utilize this technology. But it's there and it has been getting better. I think the problem is a lot of people don't trust the services, particularly with Siri or Amazon Alexa. Either they fear the AI behind it is getting smarter and will take over, or the companies are collecting data. A quick one here, phasers. Phasers, which were normally set to stun and not kill, were the main weapon used on Star Trek. And our US military has been using a device known as a Dazzler since the first Iraq war. It sends a pulse of electromagnetic radiation to stop a person right in their tracks. I mean, that's essentially a phaser. So back to the medical technology, Bones McCoy, the doctor on board the Enterprise in the original series, would give medicine through what was called a hypospray. It's jet injected and painless and just goes right through the skin. MIT has created a similar device. It can deliver medication at speeds of 340 meters per second under a millisecond. The patient wouldn't feel anything other than the tip of the injector on their skin. And this isn't even the first one that's been created. So in the future, if you hate shots, well, this could replace those needles. And if you have kids, those doctor visits will be that much easier. And now we come to the stuff that's not quite there yet. I know I did mention a couple of things that weren't really quite the way it was in Star Trek, but we've got a few things that are not nearly working as well. Tractor beams. The Enterprise and other starships were able to pull shuttles and other objects in with a beam of light. This seems impossible, but two New York University professors have been working on this. They've used a light beam to control microscopic particles. It's not impossible to do, but it's a long way off. Warp drive, a crucial part of space exploration, is being able to travel fast, preferably faster than the speed of light. And the warp drive enables you to do that. The way it works, and would theoretically work in the real world, is that the ship is moving, but the ship is also moving space-time around it so that it can be moved faster. This is known as the Alcubierre Drive, proposed by theoretical physicist Miguel Alcubierre. NASA has suggested that this drive is possible, but there is a lot of work that needs to go into it, and we are a long way off. And it's likely not going to happen by 2063, where in Star Trek canon we have a working warp drive, which gains the attention of the Vulcans, and we establish the first contact with an alien race. It just isn't likely unless a massive development takes place between now and then. And teleportation. 
We've been able to teleport photons and atoms, and the particles don't just disappear and reappear, but according to Forbes, quote, the information contained in the photon's quantum state is transmitted from one photon to another through quantum entanglement without actually traveling the intervening distance, end quote. An exact copy appears on the other side, but the original photon is destroyed. And A, if this happens, is a person still living after being transported? And B, if they're living, are they a brand new person or just a person that looks identical to the one on the other end who is no longer there? C, transporting a person in such a matter requires a huge amount of information to be sent, and we just can't send it all that fast. It also requires a lot of energy, though I know there are conspiracy theorists who believe the government has been teleporting people for quite some time. And those are the technologies that I've found that exist now from Star Trek, as well as the status of certain technologies that just aren't there yet. And hopefully this helps you realize that, even with all our problems, we are living in a fairly futuristic world already. I just hope at some point the human race can start working together for the common good, rather than all the arguing and the wars and struggles that we have today. Take a look how COVID-19 is being handled today. You have some people taking it seriously, and then others claiming it's a hoax and claiming their rights are being violated when being required to do things that keep others safe, like wearing a mask. And if we consider cooperation with one another a technology, that unfortunately would be on my list of technologies that aren't quite there right now either. And that's something that we very much had on Star Trek. Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So, we have a lot of tech news to talk to you about this week. Lots and lots, I'm telling you. 
Twitter fact checks the president and the president doesn't like it. We've got astronauts launched from U.S. soil for the first time in a decade. Artificial intelligence has recreated a classic game we all know and love. Just when we had enough security issues with iOS 13, hackers already have the next iOS version in their hands. Facebook introduces the Catch-Up app while also working on AI that can insert your face into photos. Weird and creepy. And in keeping with the Star Trek theme this week, as well as with the astronaut launch, a new ceramic has been created that is the most heat-resistant material ever. Sit back, relax, and have a cup of coffee or tea. These stories and more are coming up on the news on Joey's Totally Tech. Twitter fact-checks Trump, and Trump issues an executive order against social media as a result. This past week, Twitter decided to start fact-checking Donald Trump's tweets. The president didn't take too well to this, and claimed his freedom of speech was being denied. Kind of like how when I get in a discussion on Facebook and share facts that contradict what a person said, that person thinks they hate me. Anyway, Trump issued an executive order, something those Facebook friends of mine can't do, and it's testing the boundaries of the White House's authority. The order accuses social media platforms of, quote, invoking inconsistent, irrational, and groundless justifications to censor or otherwise punish American speech here at home, end quote. And Twitter is specifically cited for selectively applying warning labels to tweets it has fact-checked. Social media and tech companies are fighting back against the executive order, which challenges the Section 230 protections, which protects tech companies from being sued or held liable for most posts, photos, or videos shared on their sites. And I don't want to get too political in this, but I do think it's quite frightening and a step towards tyranny when the president issues such an executive order just because he didn't like being fact-checked. These social networks aren't censoring the content, they're just fact-checking. People can still view the content, but we need to know when the president's tweets don't match up with the truth, which seems to be way too often. And there goes any illusion of any unbiased I may have had, but I don't claim to be a professional journalist, but more of a tech news commentator. NASA and SpaceX launch astronauts from U.S. soil for the first time in a decade. SpaceX's Crew Dragon carried two NASA astronauts to space on Saturday. This comes after a weather delay on Wednesday. Saturday's launch came just after 3.20 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday from Florida's Kennedy Space Center. Astronauts Robert Benkin, 49 years old, and Douglas Hurley, 53 years old, are to spend 19 hours aboard SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule as they head towards the International Space Station. They plan on docking with the space station at 10.29 Eastern Time on Sunday, May 31st. So, basically, by the time you've heard this podcast, they're already there. 
The United States hasn't launched their own astronauts into space since the space shuttle program ended in 2011. NASA has since had to travel to Russia and train on the Soyuz spacecraft, which cost NASA up to $86 million per seat. This also marks the first time in history that a commercial aerospace company has carried humans into Earth's orbit. SpaceX has been working on the Crew Dragon for 15 years. And I've got to say, with all that's going on in the world right now, it's a great time to leave Earth. Good choice, astronauts. NVIDIA's artificial intelligence recreates Pac-Man from scratch after watching it being played. Researchers have taught an AI system to create the classic arcade game. There was no coding or pre-rendered images involved. It was just fed visual data of the game in action as well as controller inputs. It recreated the game from the information, and the result is a Pac-Man game playable by humans. NVIDIA plans on releasing this version of Pac-Man in the near future. The company says work like this will show how artificial intelligence will be used for game design in the future. A developer can input their work into the AI and create variations or design new levels. Sanja Fidler, the director of NVIDIA's Toronto Research Lab, said, quote, You could use this to mash different games together giving additional power to game developers by letting them blend together different games." End quote. The AI program that created this Pac-Man recreation is called GameGAN. GAN stands for Generative Adversarial Network, and it's a common architecture for machine learning. Steam CloudPlay enters beta with GeForce Now support. Valve is getting involved in cloud gaming with the beta rollout of Steam Cloud Play. It introduces GeForce Now streaming integration and may also include other services in the future. It may also let users launch GeForce Now streaming through Steam for supported games. There will only be a limited number of games supported at first, and the users will need to download GeForce Now and connect it to their Steam account. Publishers are able to opt in by flipping a switch on Steam. So now, NVIDIA's library of supported games may grow. NVIDIA has had a problem with losing publishers ever since GeForce Now's launch. They hope to give developers and publishers direct control over whether their games are accessible through the service. Epic Games Store, a competitor to Steam, has said they wholeheartedly support GeForce Now for its own games and Epic Games Store titles that choose to participate, including exclusives. NVIDIA Quadro Experience software is now available. A new software accessory for users of the professional line of graphics cards has been released. It's available immediately, and it includes 4K recording capabilities, alerts for the latest driver updates, game optimizations, even though Quadros aren't really meant for gaming, and access to desktop management tools. NVIDIA is touting the screen recording and sharing capabilities. They claim the 4K desktop recording capabilities are very welcome for professionals who work in geographically dispersed groups. These capabilities, quote, accelerate product development cycles, 
design reviews, and more, end quote, according to NVIDIA. iPhone hackers have had their hands on the new iOS for months now. Both security researchers and hackers have had access to a leaked early version of iOS 14 since at least February, according to Motherboard. This is about eight months before the official release, assuming Apple publishes the new iOS in September, and it's being widely circulated among hackers and security researchers. Motherboard hasn't verified how the iOS version was leaked, but people within the jailbreaking community believe someone obtained a development iPhone 11 running a version of the system dated December 2019. Sources say someone purchased it from vendors in China for thousands of dollars and extracted the system's internal build and distributed it in the jailbreaking and hacking community. Though the final release will likely look and function differently from this early release, it does give hackers and researchers a huge lead time where they're able to probe iOS 14 to look for vulnerabilities. This is more bad news for the security of iPhones, but at least I don't have to quote someone that was risking the family friendliness of this podcast. The NSA warns of sandworm attacks on email servers. The NSA says Russia's military hackers are attacking Exum email servers to plant back doors, and they have been doing so since August 2019. They say that members of Unit 74455 of the GRU Main Center for Specialist Technologies, or GTSST, a division of the Russian Military Intelligence Services, has been attacking email servers running the Exum Mail Transfer Agent or MTA. Known as Sandworm, the group has been hacking the server since August and exploiting a critical vulnerability tracked as CVE-2019-10149. The victim would download and execute a shell script which adds privileged users, disables network security settings, updates SSH configurations to enable additional remote access, and execute additional scripts to enable follow-on exploitation. NSA is telling private and government organizations to update their Exum servers to version 4.93 and look for signs of compromise. Raspberry Pi 4 8GB model released, as well as a new 64-bit OS. The low-cost Raspberry Pi computer boards have added a new board to its mix, the 8GB Raspberry Pi 4, among the 2 and 4GB variations. This larger amount of RAM will make sense for specialized needs, such as running data-intensive server loads or using virtual machines. It probably won't make much of a difference for retro gaming emulation, which is a use for many regular users. Also, the Raspberry Pi Foundation has decided to change its official operating system's name from Raspbian to Raspberry Pi OS, and they've finally released a long-awaited 64-bit version that can take advantage of the Raspberry Pi 4's 64-bit architecture. Facebook launches catch-up so you can do an audio chat with your friends who are ready to chat. 
Facebook's NPE team, which is their research and development department, has launched a new app called CatchUp. It makes it easy for friends and family in the U.S. to coordinate phone calls or set up group calls for up to eight people. What makes CatchUp unique is that the calls that it enables are audio only, not video, and it flags when users are available. No video? Where's the fun in that? I'm going to use Skype now. Moving on. Facebook's AI can insert people into photos. Scientists affiliated with Facebook's scary and creepy department, or actually Facebook's AI research in Tel Aviv University, have proposed a technique for inserting people into existing images in a photorealistic, high-resolution way. It taps AI that creates a semantic map of a person and estimates the post of other people in a given photograph, and then renders the person's pixels and generates a face that matches. On one hand, this is creepy. On the other hand, it's kind of cool because you can virtually pose for pictures with all your friends you've had to social distance from. Or you can finally have proof you're friends with those famous celebrities that you actually aren't friends with. Actually, this might not seem too practical for most of us, but it could be a boon for creative industries where photo and film reshoots are costly. Okay, good. It's meant for Hollywood. Let's keep it in Hollywood, please. The approach has limitations, however. It fails to generate people who occlude other people in photos, and it doesn't condition to target people and their attributes. It can result in hair that's not the same style as the target person and a lack of control over the order of people within scenes. But it's believed that it can be overcome with improved training techniques. HTC's former CEO is betting on VR. Peter Cho, former CEO of HTC, is leading a new company called XR Space. They plan to launch a new VR headset later this year dubbed the MOVA. It's supposed to ship in Q3 of this year for $599. It has 5G support and hand tracking interface and an expansive virtual world called Monova and it's bucking the trend of cheaper and more interoperable VR platforms by opting for a specialized system at a high price. This is powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon 845 processor and looks similar to the Oculus Quest or HTC's business-oriented Vive Focus, but a bit slicker. It's available in white or bright orange. It tracks users' movement with two cameras and the default control system is the hand tracking, which is a feature that is still pretty rare in VR headsets, though it was added to the Oculus Quest this month. The world of Minova is described as looking sort of like Second Life crossed with one of Facebook's social VR experiments. It will contain a variety of public and private locations, including individual home hangout areas or viewing party spaces, neighborhood-like areas where you can meet with friends, and a place called Magic Lojas, which includes fitness classes and many other healthy activities. Because in many states, you can't physically go to those anymore, of course. How timely! 
there are also third-party games and apps that will be available. Amazon is looking to get into self-driving by possibly buying Zooks. Amazon is in advanced talks to buy Zooks, the self-driving startup company, in a move that would expand the e-commerce giant's reach in autonomous vehicle technology, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. The deal values Zooks at less than $3.2 billion, the amount it achieved in a funding round in 2018. The agreement may still be weeks away and it could fall apart, but Amazon has stepped up its investment in the car sector, participating in a $530 million funding round early last year in another self-driving startup, Aurora Innovation Incorporated. Samsung unveils an Apple Card competitor, Samsung Money by SoFi. The company has launched a mobile-first money management system called Samsung Money, and it has an accompanying MasterCard and exclusive Samsung Pay benefits. It was designed in partnership with fintech company SoFi. Unlike the Apple Card, Samsung Money is not a credit card, but it acts similar to a bank account or credit union. It's even FDIC insured for up to $1.5 million. Account holders benefit from what the company calls defense-grade security from Samsung Knox. Like the Apple Card, the debit card from Samsung Money doesn't display the number, expiration date, or security code. If you need that information, it's in the Money tab of the Samsung Pay app. The announcement mentions that the account is secure and has no account fees. And if you save money with Samsung Pay, you will earn a higher interest rate than the national average rate in a normal savings account. This will be available to U.S. customers later this summer and will be exclusive to those who own Samsung Galaxy smartphones. Instagram is going to start sharing revenue with creators through ads and IGTV. Revenue sharing from ads and IGTV and badges that viewers can purchase on Instagram Live will help content creators earn revenue. The company has hinted that ads would come from IGTV for more than a year, and long-form video offering would be the most likely place to first pay creators. Ads will begin showing up in IGTV for around 200 approved people. English-speaking creator partners such as Adam Wahid and Lele Pons will show advertisements from Ikea, Puma, and Sephora, among other advertisers. They plan to share an industry-standard 55% cut with creators. The goal is to eventually expand this group and bring it to more creators around the world. The initial round of videos will be vertical videos up to 15 seconds long. They'll also test various experiences within IGTV ads throughout the year, like being able to skip ads. And finally, scientists have developed the most heat-resistant material ever created. This is probably something we'll need if we're ever going to have a Star Trek-like universe a group of scientists at Nust Mises, or National University of Science and Technology in Moscow, Russia, have developed a ceramic material with a higher melting point than any other known compounds. Due to its combination of physical, mechanical, and thermal properties, 
it's promising a use for the most heat-loaded components of aircraft like nose fairings, jet engines, and sharp front edges of wings operating at temperatures above 2,000 degrees Celsius. Many space agencies have been working on reusable space planes to reduce cost of delivering people and cargo into orbit, as well as reduce the time intervals between flights. Dmitry Moskovic, a name which I probably butchered, head of Nust Mises Center for Constructional Ceramic Materials, said, quote, currently, significant results have been achieved in the development of such devices. For example, reducing the rounding radius of the sharp front edges of the wings to a few centimeters leads to a significant increase in lift and maneuverability, as well as reducing aerodynamic drag. However, when exiting the atmosphere and re-entering it, on the surface of the wings of the space plane, temperatures of about 2,000 degrees Celsius can be observed, reaching 4,000 degrees Celsius at the very edge. Therefore, when it comes to such aircraft, there is the question associated with the creation and development of new materials that could work at such high temperatures." End quote. The goal of the scientists was to create a material with the highest melting point and high mechanical properties. It's a triple hafnium carbon nitrogen system called hafnium carbonitride. Scientists previously predicted that it would have high thermal conductivity and resistance to oxidation, as well as the highest melting point among all known compounds, which is 4200 degrees Celsius. But it appears once synthesized, the melting point is well above 4000 degrees Celsius, and they have not been able to determine what its actual melting point is in a laboratory. They plan to conduct experiments on measuring the melting temperature by high temperature pyrometry using a laser or electric resistance. There are also plans to study the performance of hafnium carbonitride in hypersonic conditions, which will be relevant for application in the aerospace industry. And that's it for the news and for Joey's Totally Tech this week. I hope you found the episode enlightening and informative as well as uh, entertaining too. Thank you for listening and I will catch you next time.